Welcome to the O four hundred podcast, the podcast for dreamers. Good morning, fellas. Good, good morning. morning. It is a good morning, isn't it? It's a great morning. It is February eleventh. Almost a January. Almost a January. February. It's been a time warp. Can you believe it? February eleventh, two thousand twenty-two. Good grief! And if you're watching this, we've officially launched our podcast. So we've been working on this for a while. On just backlogging some content and getting this thing moving and last week we officially launched it and we've had such great feedback uh, we're really honored with all those who have reached out to us personally uh, who have reviewed it and uh, we're really really grateful and anyone who's new who's listening uh, thank you if there's a way that you would like to support us uh, there's two specific ways that you can do so one is free the first one is you can go to Spotify or iTunes and leave a review. If you just want to rate it five stars or whatever that you feel is appropriate, then do that. But if you want to leave a review, even better. Also, you can find some additional content as well as uh, we'll be hosting future live streams on our Patreon and anything else um, having to do with like Q and A's and engaging with us a little bit more intimately, uh, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. That's right. And honestly, at this point, the best thing for us is word of mouth too. Um, share this with your friends and family. If you see it on YouTube, hit the sm what is it? Smash that smash. like button. Definitely smash. Share it. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on TikTok. We're on all that stuff. So um, hopefully, you guys continue to find this as powerful and engaging as we find it sitting around this table. We're really grateful to be a part of this and to be a part of the community with you guys. So yeah, and just know for context that this is not free uh, for us. It does cost us, it's costed us thousands of dollars that we invested into equipment and subscriptions. Uh, so there is a sunk cost for us. We love to do it, but if we could at least cover those costs within the year, uh, we'd be super grateful where we can start expanding this a little bit more. Pretty exciting, fellas. Yeah. Yeah. We're well, getting out there now. We, we are. are. We want to, to uh, starting ahead. to get loud. Yeah. We want to start having guests on as well. So, if you guys have someone you'd love to see on this podcast, um, even if it's a big dream to get them on here, uh, Matthew McConaughey, drop them in the comments mm -hmm. below because uh, we'd love to start hosting some really cool people on this podcast to talk about those three questions. And so, and what what are those three questions? Who are you? What do you want? Where are you going? The fundamental questions of direction. I love the way you said that, Jake, a couple weeks ago. That was great. Thank you. So today we're drinking some uh, Makina, I believe is what it's called. Coffee roasters. Don't know where they're located out of. Doesn't really say, but this is a Colombian. They're carnival. It's uh Colombia. Citrus, obviously. juicy, floral. What do you guys think? It's nice, man. Hmm. Juicy floral. Yeah. Nice acidity. It'll get me there. It's great. Yeah. 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 It's good. Liquidy. So well done. <laughs> it's very wet. Well done, Makina. No, it's really nice. It's really good. Yeah. I like that. Um, cool. Cool yeah. branding too. Columbia Carnival. I like that. We promise to never lose sight of the humanity in every cup. Yeah. That's great. Love that. Very cool. 
Thanks, Jake. And this is something that y'all don't know, but uh, Jake is a a barista extraordinaire. Is that what you you would say? Definitely not. That's <laughs> that's big time uh, words there, and that I'm not. Really? I'm not willing well, to put myself up there. He makes I'm a just, good cup of coffee. I'm a nerd about it. <laughs> y'all don't see this, but just over there we have a kitchen, and uh, there's like a. It looks like a science project like a there's a big beaker vat kind of deal with a filter and he's like pouring it in and measuring it kind of breaking bad style it's, it's bubbling over and it's green yeah <laughs> yeah maybe i'll have to do a coffee tips episode where yeah, i like be good man give practical tips for the average joe who wants to make a better than average joe oh <laughs> dude actually that's a pretty cool that was Mark. on the spot. Like, <laughs> that, that was awesome. That and was it makes me wonder, marketing. too, are there like really amazing Joes out there and really terrible ones? And that's why average <laughs> Joe is a thing? Yeah, the bell curve. Because we need to reference that somehow? I don't Maybe. Know. There have been some great Joes throughout history. Mm-hmm. You know, like what? Joseph Campbell. Yeah, oh, Joseph okay. Campbell. Yeah. Joseph of Me- the Coat of Many Colors. Joe Namath, quarterback. Yeah. I know we're forgetting many right now, but it's you know the coffee hasn't kicked. Joe in. Burrow is about to go. Oh to the Super man, Bowl. what a, what a story, man! Joe Camel, right? <laughs> He's pretty cool. Yeah. Cool guys, sweet. Let's hop into it. You all might be too young to know Joe Camel. No, I know Joe Camel. Oh, Joe Camel. I said Campbell. <laughs> Joe uh, Camel. Yeah. Do you know like who that a, is? Is that like an advertising for the cigarette company? Yeah. 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 Yep. Like yeah. a super cool. Was that camel. like the Western guy in all the advertising? No, that was the no, Marble Man. That's the Marble Man. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Camel was literally a camel. Oh, okay. But yeah. they were. But not cool just any camel. Super cool one. Like basically the Uncle Jesse of camels. <laughs> <laughs> if you get that, I do get that. All right, good. All the early nineties references. R.I.P. Bob's. <laughs> yeah, man. Part of my heart just lives in the nineties and w- and will stay there. Yeah. Uh, so we can talk about that sometime. Love the nineties. <laughs> well, um. For these next three uh, podcast episodes, we wanted to really dive into these questions that we find very important, that we think are part of the 0400 uh, journey. Uh, everyone has to be able to answer these questions. Um, sort of the concept that came from was if you could walk up to anyone on the street and ask them questions that would dig deep into who they are and the things they value, uh would be these questions. And they sound so simple when you first hear them, right? Who are you? What do you want? Where are you going? We use those for the most simple ways to get to know somebody. But when you really dive deep into these questions, they're, they're rich and they get to the heart of what we value. So, uh, we launched our blog this weekend or this last week on our website. Um, we haven't even really told these guys about Valley heart yet, but Oh, 400, the 0400 podcast is going to be under the umbrella of the Valley Heart Adventure Company. And we'll be telling you more and more about this as, as more events and stuff come up. Uh, but our blog is on our website, valleyheartadventurecompany.com. We're going to be posting hopefully every Monday to this. And uh, this last week, we explored the concept of uh, who are you? What is identity? So uh, for this five-minute share, just to kind of kick things off, uh, I'm going to read that blog. Um, that I posted this last week when I was really exploring what is our identity because it's very complicated. It's very, very complicated. Um, but it's also simple and I hope you'll see that by the end of this. So who are you? What is identity really? 
We hear this term thrown around all the time. It has been the subject of philosophical musings for millennia, psychological studies for a century, and art since the beginning of time. Is it imparted, uncovered, constructed, determined? Or is it some combination of all of these? Are we solely a byproduct of our biology? As it's been said, are memories the architect of our, our identities? Is it purely phenomenological, constructed via our subjective experience, or is it something deeper and more transcendent? In my opinion, it's all of these. It's at least partially your values, right? We live in the postmodern age or even the post-postmodern, and we live in an exceedingly and infinitely complex world. The postmodernists, of which I'm sure there's more of that within me than I'm even aware, would say that because there is an infinite number of ways to interpret the near-infinite numbers of variables of life, then it must be that there's no one way that is truer than the other. But my heart rebels against that idea. There's something that is good and true, or better and truer than other options, and to, other, to argue otherwise disregards the universal human conscious, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. It ignores objectivity. It is a circular paradox that there's no real truth, because isn't the fact that there's no absolute an absolute statement? There's something to be said about a person's phenomenological experience, absolutely, but a person's experience is colored by other experiences and may not reflect the transcendent structure of identity. Biology, socialization, and psychological development are not enough to explain the more metaphysical properties of identity. I have a hard time saying that either subjective or objective structures contain the fullness of our identity. Our subjective experience is incomplete, and objectivity can be too cold and calculating. Purely objective models don't consider the heart of a person because a person's heart is hard to formulize. Sure, you can measure their beats per minute and blood pressure, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about their spirit, their soul, their values, and their loves. And so if our identity is tied to the structure of our loves, what is love? Any objective understanding of love requires you to descend to purely biological or chemical terms. It requires you to demystify it. But anyone who's ever been in love knows that this is an inadequate explanation. There's something experientially deeper that there that can't be measured by science or reason. Identity is also about embodiment. It's archetypal. Maybe it's as much about what you could be as what you are now. This also ties directly into your meaning, your values, and ultimately your loves. It's about dreaming yourself into the person you want to become. It's found in our religions and our stories and our morality and in our heroes. Who do you hope to be should be as important of a question as who are you now? It is in our nature to mimic and we must dig deep into the vast riches of our history and our stories to find examples to emulate. All this is important, but at our core, we most desire to love and be loved. The completeness of things is met in love, objectivity and subjectivity, the concrete and the abstract, the physical and the metaphysical. And, as, and what is the greatest of loves? Well, as a Christian, I would say that there must be a love that transcends all things, in which there's a mystical trickling down of love to us that illuminates what it means to be truly human. Without the transcendent, we are left with only the natural, and pure naturalism cannot explain our inkling that there's more to this than meets the eye. Pure naturalism makes, takes love and makes it chemical, and I can't and won't believe that that is the fullness of it. That is not a world I want to live in, nor is it a world that I believe exists in reality. Perfect love exists, and it gathers in the human heart and overflows. Now we just have to examine what that love is pointed toward. Our meaning and our values are wrapped up in our loves, and love supersedes each and everything. Even chaos or evil may just be wrongly oriented loves. So with that, 
Maybe our identity is what our love is oriented toward as well as what or whose love is oriented toward us. <laughs> well done. Yeah, man. Thoughts? There's so much there. <laughs> <laughs> I've always like been frustrated. You know, growing up in the evangelical church, there was always that phrase like, find your identity in Christ, right? And I was like, what does that even mean when you really, when you really look at it? Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of exploring that. Like what is, you know, because you have this psychological development model of identity where it's purely, you know, it's, it's science. It's something you can formulize, you can make sense of, the biology. You have the biological, stru- like people like Sam Harris that argue for more biological or evolutionary um, models of how morality and identities kind of develop. You have the, the Jean Piaget where they talk about, you know, um, the development of the, of the child and how they learn how to be human through the playing of games, you know, like you learn how to play fairly and that imparts like a level of morality or an understanding of morality that I say understanding, but it's subconscious most of the time until you really think about it. Um, but all of that just seems incomplete, you know, and love who or what you love seems to be the thing that we orient our lives around. And it can be ourselves, right? If we love ourselves, we orient our, and I'm talking about unhealthily love ourselves. We should love ourselves. Um, but like self love in the sense that it's self worship leads to, um, heartbreak. It leads to selfishness. It leads to broken relationships. Um, and so we can love ourselves. We can love things. And that leads to brokenness. Um, materialism and this need to just amass things. Um, love of power, you know, taking advantage of people to get what you want. That's, that's a wrongly oriented love. Um, but when someone's oriented toward something that's valuable and they love what is good, you have people that pop up that make huge changes in the world that, and it may not even be, I say huge changes in the world. It can be just be in your community or in your family. But I, I argue that that is a huge change in the world because I don't think it's our natural state to be self-sacrificial. I think we had to have that embodied for us. And you see that in all the great stories, the self-sacrifice. And so that's why I think that at the core of our identity, going beyond the biological, the sociological, <laughs> the psychological, it's about who or what we love. And love for me is much more than the chemical reaction in your brain. It has to be, you know, it has to be. And I can't prove that. I can't prove it. But that's not what this podcast is about, <laughs> you know. It's about dreaming. It's about exploring. It's about figuring out who we are in the context of everything mm-hmm. in our search for meaning and our search for our true dreams. And so I think that's where I came to the argument that when we abandon like the postmodernists do the structure of identity and being and transcendence and religious and, and, and mythical 
thinking, when we we abandon that at our own peril because then we're left with something that's just hollow, you know, mm-hmm. it's hollow. And I don't believe that's, I'm not going to believe that that's what reflects reality. I just can't. Um, and so with all that, my, my argument going down the blog was that there has to be a perfect love. And when our love is oriented well, that's what we find our identity in. Mm-hmm. It's like we're, it's who we love and who we are loved by. Does that make sense? Yeah. And real quick, for those who are wanting to follow along with Spencer and read that article, again, you can find that at valleyheartadventurecompany.com. Hey, do this thing, Jake, where you're like, I'll put the tag right here, and then, <laughs> and then it'll like pop up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there that's go. good. That's good. Jake is our young Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I have a question then based off sure. that. Identity and who are you? Yeah. Right? I think we've touched on this in a few podcasts ago, but... What would you guys say, especially as a therapist and uh, one who's becoming a therapist, what would you say is the biggest thing, the biggest obstacle for most people that's holding them back on finding who they are? Ooh. When they're trying to answer the question, who are you? What is holding them back for most people? What is it? Well, that's always, that's always a hard framing there's a hard framing for a question always as like for me is is uh what is the most Mm -hmm. or what's like the best or like what's your favorite uh because it's hard uh to 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 select one um i think probably if i'm just going to synthesize an answer very quickly i would say it's probably confusion uh of course it's confusion uh, uh, but it's confusion caused by, um, shame, a distrust in, in authentic identity, uh, a distrust that I have something, a distrust that there's something within me that I'm enough, uh, inside. And so we, we end up looking outside for validation. I think that's it. Um, this happens to all of us, I think in the, in the cultivation of the ego, you know, uh, the ego comes online and all of a sudden, you know, we've talked a little bit, a lot about this, the, you know, the world becomes a pie and it's, it's this scarcity mentality. And, and, uh, and we also right around this time, we're starting to socialize as, as Piaget did a lot of great work on how children play and how profound that is and the games that they play. And they're, they're teaching themselves models of behavior and, and what's worthwhile for their energy and things like that. And also how, uh, importantly, how to connect, which is the, the purpose of any game. Uh, by the way, we can go on a tangent, man, about video games with that one. Uh, but anyway, uh, it happens to all of us that we get to school. Remember, you remember going to school and being on the playground for the first time and noticing disparities in talent and mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, abilities and some people are taller some people are more um are cooler you know those kind of intangible things um and so we just start looking around and we start comparing you know i'm better than that or i'm less i'm i'm more than or i'm less than or whatever it might be and that fragments are uh it just breaks our heart it just breaks our heart so i think from that point we just start slapping adjectives onto ourselves Mm. And so most of the time when you, when you ask somebody who they are, uh, they'll give you a bunch of adjectives 
Mm-hmm. They'll try to describe what they are. Uh, and that's not even the question, you know, who are you? You know, so uh, it's a hard question to answer, you know, it's, it's quite profound. It's as everything in, in the, uh, seems to be in this journey that has that, that kind of like deep um, and consistent mystery to it. It can be answered with usually a treatise, like an essay, an ex, you know, where you really just break it all down. Uh, and it can also probably be answered with, with one word. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah. I want to hear your answer as well. But for those who are, again, new listeners, because we recognize that we, we have a lot of new listeners right now who may not have gone through the backlog, we totally understand that if you just started with the most recent. So when we started 0400, this was just us dreamers meeting to try to outline uh, a path for a way to define and achieve our goals and dreams. And in what Brent and Spence worked on as kind of a workbook, there are three fundamental questions that we ask at the very beginning of the 0400 kind of workbook that we've created. It's who are you, what do you want, and where are you going? So we're really trying to dissect um, each one of those over the next few episodes, starting with, again, who are you? Mm. So Spencer, what do you think? What is the biggest challenge holding people back from finding out who they are and answering that question? I agree with a lot of what Brent says about shame, and I've been on that journey. Um, I still wrestle with things from my childhood, from lies, you know? And I was just looking up, I don't know how to say his name. I think it's Henry Nowen. Nowen? Nowen, yeah. Nowen, Life of the Beloved. Um, incredible book. That's on our reading list. Yes, it is. And it's it's written by a Christian. And even if you're not a Christian, I think you can find a lot of value in his work. Um, but one of the things he says, just kind of, that kind of bounces off what you said, um, is... Every time you feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, strong as they may be, are not telling me the truth about myself. Um, But once again, that's incomplete. That's incomplete unless you go the next step. And I would say that next step is to announce and believe that your belovedness, if you're going to have, if you're going to have one adjective, it's beloved. And I think that's the power of recognizing that there's something that's bigger than us that looks down on us with joy and with Mm -hmm. love. I don't know how we go through life. And once again, I'm, I'm telling myself this as well, because I said, this is not, I'm not perfect at this. I, I, I tell myself lies about myself all the time, but I don't know how someone can go through life and be oriented towards what they need to be oriented towards and looking inward to who they truly are and believe there's nothing that loves them with something that's way bigger than they could ever imagine. Yeah. Um, so you are beloved. You are beloved, whoever you are this listening. Um, you're beloved and you're valuable and you're a human being. And that's a miracle. Like every, I, I said this last time, but every human being is a miracle. And I think that maybe the biggest thing holding people back once again is wrongly oriented loves and maybe that's not even love love <laughs> good grief sorry guys maybe love is the wrong word i want to get that looked at i know man i've <laughs> i had bronchitis for like three months and it was horrible and it, i just started coughing again yesterday 
So, um, but yeah, you're beloved. And if you're going to use an adjective, I think that's the one, I think that's the one to wrap yourself around. And that's like the kernel of your identity. And that gives you the strength and the courage to then start to reach out and gather other people into that truth. Does that make sense? Because one of the themes that we circle here is the idea of story and the power of story and what the true, what the true story is here in, in this life that we find ourselves in. And, uh, with all of that, um, the story is not suffering, you know, uh, we, we can penetrate deeper than that to the original story, which is, uh, at, at the grassroots, the foundation Eden, you know, the story is belonging. It's, it's, it's love. It's, it's the life of the beloved. I, I love, I love that you just named that man. I mean, that's, um, yeah, if you could choose one word to, to identify yourself, it's, you know, I'm my father's beloved son, you know, I guess that's not one word, but beloved is that one word. Right. And Bob Dylan uh, famously said that every child is born knowing the truth. They just get it beat out of them by the time they're five. And I think that's what's, I think that's the, what the obstruction Jake is. Um, it, it's kind of a mystical idea, but as just follow me out on this, I'm just going to go for it. But as, cause I'm playing around with this idea, but as Adam and Eve left Eden and set on this grand story for all of humanity of how to, how to get back home. Um, that's like the big story. And in the microcosm of our personal experience, we all leave Eden too. It's called the beautiful belonging of childhood. Mm. And, and some of us get to experience that for longer than others. And it's not fair. What happens to a lot of children, uh, where they, some of this gets robbed from them. And I could be wrong about this, but I have a belief like like your conviction to, to make these claims in your article there. Uh, I have a belief that every one of us, no matter, even if, well, no matter what our early years were like, there's at least a glimpse in our memory of feeling the warmth and the surrounding of being wrapped up in the, the arms of our father. And, and I don't just mean biological father. I mean, our like God. I think we all remember that and it haunts us ever since. And so, um, something about the, the, the stages of psychological development, again, when that ego comes all of a sudden that goes away. Mm. Uh, and there's a, a really interesting, uh, way that I've seen this drawn out by a guy named Richard Rohr and he maps it out. And I wish I had like a pa- pen and paper. I'd do it for you now, but, uh, maybe sometime we can do that. But basically this idea that, um, we, we me, us, like my self and God are like this, we're connected. And that is the only thing that's ever been real. Mm. And when our ego develops, which is a necessary stage, I mean, God designed this process, I think. So, uh, there has to be purpose to it. Uh, we have to be cast out of the garden, it seems. Or as Andrew Peterson said, uh, in one of his songs, don't you want to thank somebody? Uh, he asked the question, um, is it better to be merely innocent or to be broken and redeemed by love? Mm. Which one's better? And, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I know the answer now. It's kind of one of those, you can see it both ways, you know, but I think it's better to be broken and redeemed. Isn't that the story that compels us? You know, like is, is ignorance bliss? Mm. Um, 
or is or is adventure bliss but you got to have the suffering in there to have that so i think by the time we're around five you can see this happen in kids anyone that has kids you've seen it um sometimes it's earlier but uh this kid isn't enough for himself or herself anymore and i don't mean in the in the the modern view of that like this egocentric uh, I guess technically that is what I mean, but <laughs> I don't mean in like a, like a self-obsessed way, like, like I'm enough because in the spiritual reality, um, that's not true. Um, like the, the self, the independent self is not enough. It's very important. And it was created with fear and wonder by God, uh, which is interesting, but, um, but we can't know who we are. We can't answer that question on our own by ourselves. We need community. We need someone else to also affirm and, and answer that question with us. So long story short, I think right around that age for us all, we, we, we were cast out of the garden, so to speak. We go to school, we start to like notice insecurities and these kinds of things, they start to develop. And then all of a sudden we stop trusting this thing in here. Uh, and we start trying to trust all these things out here. Mm-hmm. And, and we, and those of us that take a spiritual journey, are clawing our way back ever since. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so who are you? Uh, you can slap a bunch of adjectives to that. Um, you know, I, some things that you're good at, things that you like. I think a lot of people get confused by that now because of, you know, Facebook invented that thumb thing. And one, one, it creates a binary system. So there's no dimmer switch. It's either like, hell yeah, or like, hell no. Right. <laughs> there's no like, uh, yeah, I could see that. You know, I could see the, I could see the middle ground there. So, uh, so yeah, I think we've, now we're obsessed with what we like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's not, that's not who you are. That's, that's what you like. Right. So yeah. Who are you? I mean, I could, I could I'm going to spend the rest of my life searching the answer to that question. That's the call to adventure. And also I'm Brent. Mm-hmm. I'm Brent, baby. It's as simple as that. You're like, yeah, man. I am the beloved. I, I think it's very interesting that the book, the uh, hit me now on the book was titled life of the beloved and not the life of being beloved. The beloved is like a name. It's like a noun. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking about adjectives, you know, like we are the beloved. We aren't, we are beloved, but that's not all it is. Proper we noun. Are the, we're proper noun, the beloved. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that owning that and building or deconstructing all the stuff you're talking about, the ego, um, the shame, the guilt, whatever it is, and rebuilding around that seed is what kind of springs forth the life that we're talking about. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that no matter what mountain we climb towards this, this truth that we're coming to, and I love what Buddha said, you know, the truth, because the truth works. Mm. I love that phrase, man. Cause if it don't work, it's probably not, there's probably a flaw in the system. Uh, but if it works, you might be onto something. Now, some things work that aren't useful or aren't good for us, but right. doesn't, but it doesn't say that it's, there's something true there that's working. Yeah. But yeah, man, I, you know, I lost my train of thought. Dang it. Can I hop in here? And yeah, please. Out? Um, as you figure out who you are, I want to sound like a broken record, but I really think that what plagues most Americans and like the first world society is again, we're just overstimulated. And I think a good place to start and why 0400 was 
so effective at giving us such a good path forward where we saw incredible results was because the point of 0400 and why to meet at four o'clock is because again, we're awake when the rest of the world is asleep. We're trying to hash these things out and there's no additional stimulus. No one's texting us. No one's calling us. No one's emailing us. There's not even cars on the road really right now. Like you, you we drive, we drove 30, 40 minutes and saw like one car. Uh, so there's like, it's almost like you were participating in this together in a vacuum. So you have to do the same thing for yourself. You may not have an 0400 or a men's group or whoever or friends who might be able to facilitate that for you, but you can find that by yourself, whether you're a night owl and, and you can find some nighttime alone time, or you're a morning person where you can, you know, find a park or something to, to, yeah. like we talked about disengage, to re-engage with yourself. Right. Um, really minimize the external stimuli and, and spend some quality time date yourself. You know, you know, I think there's a level of, you have to be careful where self-care can be selfishness, but when you're, when your path is so, uh, confusing and uncharted and yeah. there seems to be so much noise, you really just have to give yourself space to hear yourself once again. Mm. Um, and then one other thing I'd say from like the pragmatic point, like right now, that's a great place to start journaling, giving yourself space. But the, the long-term perspective is important because when we're thinking about who we are, it can be overwhelming to try to figure out, well, I don't know. I don't know who I am because I don't know what I want to do. I'm in a job that I don't like, or these current situations don't seem ideal for the person that I want to become. However, if you really take a step back and go, okay, what, what do I want? What do I want to be known for when I pass away? Right. Um, I think Matthew McConaughey and a few other people have brought this up before, but having the uh, eulogy, warm food, warm food. Yeah. <laughs> having the eulogy mindset of what is it that I want people to say or would be known for in that moment, it really takes the pressure off, takes the pressure off, but also puts the pressure on, takes the pressure <laughs> off of you in the moment to think through what you want your legacy to be, but then we'll provide that seriousness of knowing what does and doesn't matter. Mm. Yeah. That's really good, man. Yeah. You want, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, there, you talk about overstimuli, overstimulation, too many voices, too much noise. I heard it said sometime that too many choices. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> um, if you know who that is, shout out in the comments. <laughs> There's too many people speaking into our life that have not earned the right to speak into our life. You know, mm -hmm. we're constantly immersed in social media and it, not all social media is bad. Obviously we're using social media, I think to get a powerful message out. It's a tool. It just depends it's a what tool. you do with it. Exactly. Um, but there is too many people. There are too many people that are speaking to you and not you directly because it's, just putting it out there, right? They're putting it out there and people are following them and digesting these lies about what life should look like, what, who you should be, what you should believe, what you should yeah. be doing. Then they have not earned the right to tell you who you are, you know, like as cool as Matthew McConaughey is, he hasn't earned the right to tell me who I am, you know? 
he has a lot of wisdom and I think there's, you know, I think there's a lot there that, you know, but I'm just saying in general, because yeah. I don't know, interstellar helps, yeah. helps, it nudges it in that direction. Well, totally, totally. And I'm not saying that there's nothing there, but I'm saying like, if, and that was just the first example that came to my head, but if you're constantly like following celebrities and all these sort of things and you see their life and you wish that was your life and they're, they're subtly without even probably recognizing it, selling you a vision of a life that isn't yours and probably you wouldn't want to be yours anyway. Oh, dude, that's gold, man. You're, you're, you're bought into, even if you don't think you have a vision, you've bought into a vision somewhere, somehow, mm -hmm. through some channel. And if you don't know what it is, you haven't listened or, or thought through your own vision. You've bought into someone else's. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah that's gold. It's always, and, yeah. Oh, no, dude, go ahead. It's always e easier to buy something. Yeah. You know, I remember, and by the way, I remember what I was going to say earlier. It's, it's not relevant necessarily now, but for those that were listening, they're like, what was he talking? Uh, I was talking about no matter, it's kind of funny, no matter what we try to explore, we end up uh, coming to the place where we have to be born and we have to be dying, be born again. Yeah. So that was what I was talking about then. Uh, but yeah. I remember when I was in college, I read a book called, uh, I was taking a marketing class and, um, I read a book called, uh, merchants of cool or the merchants of cool or something like that. Um, and it was all about just, we take it for granted, but this idea of marketing, this idea of selling something, this idea of, uh, it's not just trade and barter, you know, it's not just the marketplace, uh, where people come and they to kind of exchange goods. It's like, uh, it's like we um, uh, we need to convince people that they have a dilemma that they might not know that they have, and then we're going to sell them the solution. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, our whole society is built on it, and I have no problem with that. Uh, but um, but it kind of sets up this this uh, like frequency of mind, I guess, for us that uh, this kind of consumeristic mindset. And and uh, and. You know, people have had this conversation over and over and over, and and rightly so, I think. Um, just being skeptical of, we always want to be kind of challenging the system that we live in. Um, but it kind of, I mean, think about how many billboards y'all passed on your way here uh, that were lit up bright as day. You know, at two in the morning or some three in the morning, uh, or on your way to work, and you know, then you have notifications and news, and you know, um, and they're all selling stuff too. You know, so it goes back to this idea of if you don't, if you don't get up and, and declare who you are and you could be wrong. And I think we're always wrong and getting more and more close to the, to the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, you have to be willing to be the fool to be the master. Uh, and so, um, if you don't declare who you are or at least try, it will be declared for you and it, yeah, it's going to cost you. You're going to have to pay for it. You know? Spence, I think I accidentally steamrolled over you. Did you get that thought fully out? Oh, yeah, man. Um, I just, I think it just boils down to uh, messaging and selling us a vision of a life that, that isn't ours. And I think it's important that I clarify there that I'm not talking about there being many different subjective truths. I'm not saying that. I think the core of the truth is, once again, you are beloved core of your identity, the way you walk that out and live that out may look different. Um, and it is going to look different, but it's still the core is belovedness. Yeah. And I really like the idea of like, you're tilling the soil of your heart, getting out all the rocks and all the, 
you know, garbage at the bad soil and you're planting a new seed. That's your new identity surrounding that truth. And then the fruit, the tree of life grows from there. You know, mm. I think that that is my goal in discovering my identity is, is digging out all of the shame, all the guilt, all the insecurity, all the pain, all the things that have caused me to believe lies about myself and lies about the world and buy into things that aren't true and then recultivate a new garden around the truth of who I am, you know, the truth of who we all are. Um, I think that that's what we're all doing or what we all should be doing as we're trying to uncover our identity. And can I say one thing to that too? Yeah. I, one thing that I'm noticing is that so far in my journey, the, the closer I get to remembering who I am, realizing who I am, the less I really care or think about it. Does that make sense? It's like, uh, it, it's just like a loosens a grip mm. on having to like hold, hold to that because it, it comes more integrated. It's like, uh, yeah, it's a very uh, mysterious process, but yeah, integrated or it's like, uh, like the importance of who I am starts to kind of become less mm. and I'm more interested now I'm externalizing in a different way, you know? It's like we start in this inner world and then we go out to this outer world and we explore all those things. And a lot of us just live our whole lives out here and we're kind of trained to do that. Uh, and so the call to adventure is to come back to this inner world, not again, not to be childish, but childlike, come back to this inner world of true identity and belonging. And then from there we can shoot out the other side back to the outer world, but we're bringing our inner world with us. Yeah. And it's, it's a way to, it's like a proper orientation of externalization where you're buffered from, from chasing the wind and, and, and falling victim to idolatry, I guess, you know, the, um, uh, which is essentially just a trust in, in some kind of something other than, mm -hmm. you know, what's already here. I think that's really fascinating. Um, what you said, as you become more of who you are, you think about it less. It's sort of like someone who's really maybe socially anxious, they're very self-conscious and they're, they're in every interaction they have, they are having to process the right variables to get the right sentence out, to get the right human interaction, to get the right, you know, whatever it is. They're managing so many different stimuli. All the exactly. Same exactly. Yeah. But as someone becomes less self-conscious, it becomes easier to interact in social situations. It's like as you start to reckon with that and and become who you are and you're confident in who you are, it becomes you don't have to think about yourself as much because mm -hmm. you just are who you are. Yeah. You're just kind of walking in the truth there, you know, walking in the truth of who you are. Um, yeah. There, yeah. That's just really interesting. I, I like what you said there. Yeah. And that I think that connects. Yeah. Well, that's what I feel like the, the true value of what Old 400 has provided me is you verbalize things that you've never even thought through. And when you verbalize it and you begin to outline, what are your virtues? Who are you as a person? You know, what do you want? Where are you going? As you begin to verbalize those and, and consistently think through all those like minute details that we went through within the workbook, it then becomes just so integrated to where 
it's not hard to know what uh, when a decision feels good or not like it truly becomes the gut feeling i think that's i was like think about that the other day that the gut feeling really is just like an integration of like your character virtues and like values mm. and that's why you can mm. feel it in your gut say it again because I said, um, the gut, like having a gut feeling is really just your virtues, character and values fully integrated to where you have like a visceral response where it's not like, like you said, you don't have to think through all the different variables. Mm. The, the, your character is like fully integrated to where you just feel viscerally what feels most true and aligned with your true self mm. or not. Wow. It's interesting, man. That's I've never heard it articulated that way. I like that. It's just a thought. I don't know. That could be yeah. off. Well, I think too, also, this is an important conversation for dreamers. Uh, and, you know, Spencer, we both came from the entertainment business and, and we both had dreams of stardom and fame and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we've since realized that, uh, painfully realized, uh, tragically um, and beautifully, maybe realized that, that, that we were hijacked by someone else's suggestion mm -hmm. of what would make us feel whole yeah you know yeah and of course we picked rockstar why why wouldn't you you know what i mean i'm t you know anyway uh so yeah i think there's a really interesting thing for dreamers and especially people in the entertainment business this idea of image you know this idea of uh, my brand or my my image and what i'm going to sell you know in the marketplace and and th this this idea that our image um is not us and um, and also it's so dangerous mm. to craft an image for yourself because the temptation is going to be, uh, to end up believing that that's who you are. Yeah. And people, that's where people go way off the rails, man. And, uh, as, uh, it's a very confusing place to be. I'm not making light of it. Um, there's a gr really great book called the alter ego effect, uh, by Todd Herman. And he's a, a performance coach that, works with um like super performers like elite athletes and special forces operators and and um singers and dancers and and people that have to perform at such a high level of ex of uh uh i don't know excellence that uh any type of thing that gets us to second guess ourselves will ruin the performance and so we that's an interesting profession you know like how to how to get people out of that hesitation place because mm -hmm. they have, they have to be in flow state to get the best performance for right. anything they're doing. Uh, and so he, the alter ego effect is this book that he wrote. I think I put it on the reading list. I hope I did. Uh, if not, it's a great book. Um, it's very practical. Um, he's not a psychologist, but he, he, the whole book is about psycho the psychology of what happens in the ego and, mm. and the, the advantage or the, uh, the value in creating an alter ego, uh, for, um, personal development. And so it's kind of like the carrot that can hang off the end of the stick. And as you were talking in your article there, um, this idea of who you are is not just who you are now, but who you're becoming, mm -hmm. you know, which maybe is who you always were anyway. Right. Uh, but it had to be manifested. It's like, uh, had to be fought for, it had to be cultivated like the, the, the garden or the farming, uh, analogy you're using. And, um, uh, so this idea of the alter ego effect is, uh, just to give you one example, say you struggle with, uh, like social anxiety uh, or, and I'm an introvert, so I can relate to that. Uh, and it's not really anxiety at this point, but it's just, uh, I'd just prefer not to be, not to small talk with people. <laughs> just, 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 just the truth. Um, uh, 
so anyway, so for instance, uh, somebody who's socially anxious would, you know, who, who is a character that you love that doesn't have this problem, uh, from stories, movies, TV, maybe a celebrity, maybe a person of history, like George Washington or something like that. Like who's a person that, that, that can embody that for you, that embodies this trait that, that you're after. Um, and then what you do is you basically visualize that person and you just start acting like that person, like at the party mm -hmm. and, and nobody knows that you're doing this. It's all in the privacy of your mind. Uh, and it, it's cool. His technique is cool. It, it goes into like how to like get that, how to put the suit on and stuff yeah. like that. But basically it, it just kind of asks that question on, is this, is this that person, is this person being authentic by doing that? Or are they faking? Are they being fake? And, and I would argue that the reason... <laughs> The reason, so let's say, um, so I'll, I'll just be honest. So, uh, sometimes at, at like parties or social events when, um, you know, um, when I'm just kind of more in like an introverted space and it's not that I don't want to be there and don't want to connect. It's just, I don't know, uncomfortable, uh, mildly uncomfortable, I guess. Um, uh, I will put on the alter ego of, uh, again, I'm a movie guy, <laughs> but, uh, Daniel Craig's. 007 mm. may he rest in peace uh and literally before a party Craig's dead. no he's done with 007 movies yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. good good That's catch like... yeah he's not dead <laughs> james bond 007 it's like man 2022 has been is retired <laughs> uh may he retire in peace maybe okay um yeah. So, uh, so literally like I'll have a moment sometimes when I need it. I don't really, I don't really need to do this anymore. Uh, it's kind of like training wheels. You do it until you don't need to do it anymore. Uh, and so, you know, before going into an event where I'm, I need to be really kind of calm and confident and present. And I don't really like in the shakeup of my makeup that day, depending on what's going on, I'm just feeling like, man, I really just don't, I'm not feeling this. Mm. Then I'll do my little James Bond thing, you know, get the little bow tie going and nobody knows I'm doing this. I mean, I've told Lacey, I, sometimes I'll do this. Uh, and then I'll just go into that party and just in the, it's fun too. Cause you're playing a game, but in yeah. the, in the privacy of my mind, I'm embodying that character. Nobody knows all they see is like, I was, uh, uncomfortable and, and mildly insecure. And now I'm not, mm. and I do the same thing. You do that enough. And then you realize you teach yourself that you can do it. Uh, and then, so what I would say is who you want to be is who you are. That's why you want to be them. So, right. so something about the, the character of 007, particularly Daniel Craig's 007, cause he just looks cool. It's such a badass. Uh, but I, I need to get like a suit, like a real cut fit suit like that anyway, and do a lot of pushups, but, <laughs> but anyway, something about that character to me embodies something that's attractive, like something that compels me, something like, yes. I can do that. That's me. And so by trying it on, practicing it, I become it. And so that's a really interesting, uh, technique I wanted to throw y'all. And in the realm of entertainment and image creation, which is so interesting, isn't that like the biblical language, it, the image bearers and image creation and not an idol worship is creating an image. And there's something about that in the, in the, 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 the story of Narcissus and in the image of that mirror and what, you know, uh, the image of himself that he gets caught in. Um, but so for celebrities, what he recommends is if you don't separate yourself from your image, uh, it's going to be hell to pay for you. Mm. And so basically create an image, but understand it, that this is a character that you're playing. 
Mm -hmm. Um, When you're on stage, um, and he'd use the famous example of um, Sasha Fierce. Most people have heard (laughs) this story now because Beyonce is so famous. Uh, but Beyonce, she came out and she, she announced this uh, years ago. She retired Sasha Fierce and everyone's like, what are you talking about? Have you heard this? Uh-uh. Uh, and so Beyonce had created, and so Todd Herman in this book, Alter Ego Effect, he, he knows all these high performing athletes and he works with a lot of celebrities. So he's, he started noticing a pattern. They're all doing the alter ego effect. So I think, I think it was like Bo Jackson when he's on the football field, he's a, he's a Jaguar. Like he sees himself or a Puma or something like that. Like that's how he sees himself. So when he puts that helmet on, goes on the field, he's an animal. And so he embodies that and that helps him play. And so, uh, Beyonce, when she was starting out, uh, I think she was like a gospel singer in church with her sisters and they were starting destiny's child at that time. And, and which is, uh, uh, a little bit more provocative and uh, dance moves and stuff like that. And for her to for her to be able to do that, she had to create. She intuitively did this. Children do this. Uh, she she had to create uh, some someone that could do it for her. Mm. And so she created this alter ego called Sasha Fierce. And Sasha Fierce could get on stage and do all those moves and sing in all those ways. And it allowed Beyonce to enjoy the performance. And then she eventually ended up, uh, nobody knew about this. And she eventually ended up retiring Sasha Fierce mm. and said, Hey, I don't need Sasha Fierce anymore. Um, she used Sasha Fierce as a vehicle. Again, imagination. She used her imagination to create a vehicle to embody who she is. Wow. Amazing. Wow. That's so cool. Go ahead. I just have two quick things that are really interesting. Uh, one of which is I do the same thing. But with me being in sales and so much of what I do is is focused around communication and particularly how I like to improve in communication is in my elocution and my cadence and uh, like pitch, right? I always realized that I could do better with being up here and being down here and like integrating everything in between, having just more engaging speech. Someone who I think really nails that and is my alter ego when I need to really perform is Matthew McConaughey. His his yeah, cadence oh, yeah. and his uh, the way that he just performs and speaks is really really engaging. I think about the the one line in his Audible book of, if all I wanted to do was sit and talk to you, would you listen? Like that cadence and that level of uh, tonality yeah. is just so good, and it, it puts me in the right perspective of like taking on the alter ego because I want to improve in the communication. So it's funny that you say that because I actually do the same thing. Uh, in my profession. Yeah. And something's really interesting. The last thing I note here, Spence, before I pass it over to you is, uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but I heard this in high school from, uh, one of my closest friends, dad at the time, he, uh, I hope he doesn't mind me telling the story. So I'll keep him anonymous, but he was, let's call him average Joe. Let's call him average Joe. Okay. Average Joe grew up, you know, and uh and in the south he had a speech impediment so he stuttered and stammered but he wanted to become an f-15 pilot he wanted to become a pilot in the air force um and you can't do that in the air force you can't be a pilot and have a speech impediment you can't be colorblind you can't have like these you can't have the slightest thing off with you to be an f-15 pilot he just like through sheer will overcame his um 
speech impediment to where he passed. And whenever he was performing, and he was a pilot and eventually a squadron leader and uh, an F-15 squadron leader, um, he just through sheer will wouldn't st stammer when he was performing or stutter. Um, and he read a book, and I don't know if the science is true or not, because uh, again, this was like 10 plus years ago. But he, he told me about that there's this book about from like a speech pathologist who said a really good way for those who stammer and stutter uh, to to like to get past it and kind of remove themselves from it and kind of rewire their brain is to take on another accent. Now I'm high in openness. So I grew up in a Southern family. So if I get around people who are like from the deep South, I just naturally will take on the Southern accent. I, I grew up around it. You know, it's so easy for me to get into, but I'll even mimic like other people's accents. I worked with people out of like the Northwest. And even I was noticing, I was starting to like, when I was calling them or talking to them, it, it would, I'd start to get a little bit of that accent. It's just like mimicry. You uh, want some coffee? <laughs> not quite that. Uh, it's more Minnesota. I'm terrible at accent. Um, and, uh, oh, Minnesota. And yeah, so like this idea that your brain can disconnect through mimicry and through creating something different and, and changing your voice or, or taking on an alter ego that it can, has these performance effects, whether it be in speech, athleticism, you know, performance in other ways. That's just, it was so interesting. That's but awesome. So well, <clears throat> interestingly enough, I was going to talk about Matthew McConaughey too. He's coming up a lot today. Come on, dude. He's got it. <laughs> Matt, gotta, you got to be on the show. Come on, dude. You'd love it. You got to be on the show. Um, but he, I was watching, I think it was his Oscar speech, um, Oscar or Golden Globes, oh, yeah, can't remember. Yeah, yeah. And he was talking about every person needs three things. Do you remember what they were? Not off the top of my head, but I've seen the speech um, and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. Why don't you look it up? Yeah. Um, you can throw it up on the screen. By the way, Green Lights, his book is on our reading list. You can find the reading list at valleyheartadventurecompany.com. There we have our blog listed. The reading list is also up there on the navigation uh, portion of the upper right-hand corner. Daily. Um, there's a few things, about three things to my account that I need each day. Um, one of them is something to look up to, another is something to look forward to, and another is someone to chase. Now, first off, I want to thank God, because that's who I look up to. He has graced my life with opportunities that I know are not of my hand or any other human hand. Um, he has shown me that uh, it's a scientific fact that gratitude reciprocates. Um, in the words of the late Charlie Lawton, who said, when you got God, you got a friend, and that friend is you. Um, to my family, that's who and what I look forward to. To my father, who I know is up there right now with a big pot of gumbo. He's got a lemon meringue pie over there. He's probably in his underwear, and he's got a cold can of Miller Lite, and he's dancing right now. To you, Dad, you taught me what it means to be a man. To my mother, who's here tonight, who taught me and my two older brothers demanded that we respect ourselves. And what we in turn learned was then we were better able to respect others. Thank you for that, Mama. To my wife, Camilla, and my kids, Levi, Vita, and Mr. Stone, 
the courage and significance you give me every day I go out the door is unparalleled. You are the four people in my life that I want to make the most proud of me. Thank you. And to um, my hero, that's who I chase. Now, when I was 15 years old, I had a very important person in my life come to me and say, who's your hero? And I said, I don't know. I got to think about that. Give me a couple of weeks. I come back two weeks later. This person comes up and says, who's your hero? I said, I thought about it. You know who it is? I said, it's me in 10 years. So I turned 25. 10 years later, that same person comes to me and goes, so are you a hero? And I was like, not even close. No, no, no. She said, why? I said, because my hero is me at 35. So you see, every day, every week, every month, and every year of my life, my hero is always 10 years away. I'm never going to be my hero. I'm not going to attain that. I know I'm not. And that's just fine with me because that keeps me with somebody to keep on chasing. So to any of us, whatever those things are, whatever it is we look up to, whatever it is we look forward to, and whoever it is we're chasing, to that I say amen. To that I say all right, all right, all right. <laughs> and that I say just keep living. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. Um, someone to look up to, someone to look forward to. And, and someone to chase. And I love how he said that his hero is him in 10 years. Mm -hmm. So in that, when he accepts that he is not yet who he is already, I know it's a paradox, but it aims him towards the person he wants to become. And I think he's on to something there. Mm -hmm. I think he's on to something there. Yeah. Um, That's it. Yeah. It's fascinating. That's it. And I, this idea of if you don't declare who you are and you're going to be wrong every time, but you're going to get more and more close. Uh, but if you don't declare who you are, it'll be declared for you. Mm. If you don't declare your hero, you're going to end up buying one. You know what I mean? Uh, buying into one. Uh, and also the idea of the company that you keep, you know, like we're the average of the five people that we associate with on certain, certain way in certain ways. And so if we don't declare the culture of who we are and what we're about, then we're just going to, because mimicry, we're going to mimic what's around by default. And we have to be very careful on who we let speak into our lives, mm -hmm. who we let tell us who we are and also who we spend our time with. Um, and this isn't any kind of like highbrow self-righteous thing. It's vitally important. Um, we all get to make those choices, you know, and that does, that's not to say that, we need to build islands and exclusively only hang out with people that tickle our fancy, uh, because that's not what it's about. There's, again, we have our inner world and, and we use our inner world to go to the outer world. Yeah. And that includes the company that we keep, I think. So what about, we talked about a few things, right? When we're trying to <clears throat> map out who we are, uh, as people, as individuals, we also talked about mimicry and creating an alter ego or looking, chasing after someone that you admire. Um, hopefully it's your future self. So how do you build something of genuine, uh, worthwhile of pursuing to where, again, we talked about removing externalities and kind of hearing yourself once again, but if you mimic someone that could easily, uh, lead into you just trying to become someone else, or if you create an alter ego, how do you know that you're creating an alter ego based off of, uh, pure virtues? of something like a real character or you're creating something that's fake, a performer that just leads to like all these CEOs and these, these top performers who, who, and Olympians who make it, they get the, they, they win the gold. They like hit the thing that they've always uh, dreamed of. They get the Grammy 
And then they look at their lives and they go and they hit a deep depression because they did it. It's over. Kurt Cobain. Right. So what would you say? 90s. For those who might be in that situation, who's just trying to chart, I want to create something of genuine pursuit. Mm. Uh, how do you know it's genuine? Good question. Well, distinction, I think it's important is if you're in the, if you're an entertainer, then, then I think it's, um, depending on what you're, what you're about, you, I think you do have flexibility on the performance stage to create something fantastical and unique and interesting. Again, it's still going to be an expression of who you are. Cause why would you want to do that? Uh, that particular thing or expression of yourself. But, um, but also that I think that's an important distinction too, because that also in, incorporates fantasy. But as far as who are you and how to stay authentic and, and understand that, um, like not to get led astray or, or deceive yourself or something like that. I think going back to your point about the intuition, what were those three things that integrate in your intuition? Your virtues, character and values, I think. Yeah. And so if it resonates with that, you're probably in, in a, you're probably in a good lane. Mm. Uh, if you notice those body alarms going off or the intuition or that conscious, uh, conscience kind of going, then you're probably not. And then also the motivation to become this thing, check that out. So for me and Spencer, you can, um, relate to this. I think, you know, we share some of this in the store, in our stories Mm -hmm. and just in different ways, but, um, you know, I, I wanted to become and manifest a rock star and I did everything in my power to do that. Um, and every step of the way it corroded my soul Mm -hmm. every step of the way. Um, and so, yeah, let's dig into that. I want to know more of like what though I know for Spencer, at least, you know, I was there throughout this whole journey of, um, of him figuring out like, this isn't truly what I want. So I want to hear from both of you at what point, what did it take for you to realize this dream? Like we talked about it in a few episodes ago was a mirage. It was something built off of no substance. I, I watched one too many behind the, or, uh, make, was it making of the bit? No, uh, behind the music. Mm-hmm. the music, one too many of those. And I was like, Oh, this, I could do that. Mm-hmm. That would solve all my problems. So what, what, what did it take though for you to realize it wasn't worth it? What, what was like the linchpin? I just kind of like set everything off to go, what am I doing? Or who am I? I think it was a, it wasn't a moment I, more than it was a, uh, a journey, a journey of, uh, feeling more and more depraved and isolated and alone. And, and, uh, and my intuition knew it. It, like that again, that intuition, there's that part of you that just knows and it won't force it. It's, you know, it's like a low boil patiently wait, but it's, but it's, it's the boss. So you want to listen to it. And if you don't, it's okay. It won't get big, but it's going to start turning knobs. It's going to get your attention. And that's what happened to me as I just tumbled down the mountain, man. I mean, it's a long story and there were many moments like that, but it wasn't one in particular. It was, Honestly, waking up in the pig pen, just perpetually realizing uh, what am I, where, how did I get here? And then, uh, obviously a a debilitating depression is, is uh, something that I want that 
It'll either kill you or it'll get your attention. Mm. Spence, do you mind going into yours? Yeah, I don't mind at all. Um, in a lot of ways, it's very similar to what Brent said. It was a journey, and my body knew before my my brain accepted it. Body keeps a score. Yeah. Also, hopefully, on the reading list. It is. It is. Okay. But yeah, my, my you're onto something there. My body knew before my brain did. Mm-hmm. Um, I was. I felt just a disconnect and incongruence within myself between what I knew to be good and true and what I was chasing. And it was pure selfishness for me. Um, and I even lied to myself that I wanted to be a rock star so I could have positive influence. Oh, that's a good one, dude. Make an impact. Make an impact. Yeah. And, and I hear that like, all the time now. Make an impact. Yeah. And that was what that I, my whole life, like I was like, I, I want to be light in a dark industry, you know, I really, I was like, yeah. Really, I just wanted to illuminate myself on the stage. Yeah. And when my spirit started to rebel against that dream that I was chasing, um, it got to where I could barely get out of bed. You know, I had more, I had way more bad days than good days. And when I began to see the outcome of what, what was going on, Like if I followed that trail to the end, who I was, was not someone I wanted to be. Um, and so there was that incongruence in what I was doing and who I was. Does that, you know, we're talking about identity. There was, there was that disconnect between what I was doing and who I knew myself to be Mm -hmm. at my core beloved. Um, and it was honestly a conversation with my, my counselor at the time that I think set me free from that dream. Once again, dream. Because my dreams now are not dreams. You know, mm-hmm. they're real. Let's just coin the term, keep it mirage. <laughs> yeah, keep <laughs> mirage. Yeah. Um, but it was a conversation with my counselor at the time. And, you know, my counselor, he works exclusively with artists in the music industry. And he said something to me when I was talking about, oh, but like, our fans and our families who have given so much and been so invested in our journey and want so badly for this to be real for us because they, they love us and they've supported us financially and with their time and energy. I was like, I can't give up. I can't give up. And he said two things to me that day. He said, come into a crossroads and taking a new path is not given up. He said, it's only given up when you keep going down the path you know to be wrong or when you just sit down at the crossroads and never move again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. And then he said, and one thing you have to take account of is the cost of what you're doing. He said, no one makes it to the top of this industry with their integrity and their family intact. He says, you have to decide if those are prices worth paying. I said, and I, ooh, I remember in that moment, I knew what was happening. I knew in that moment I was being set free mm-hmm. from that, that grip. <clears throat> and I knew if I said it out loud, then kind of like we talked about verbalizing in the workbook. Once you say it, you know, bring the subconscious to the conscious. That's psychoanalytic theory. You know, you're trying to uncover what's deep down. I knew the minute I spoke it, I was accountable to it. Mm-hmm. And I said, those are prices I'm not worth paying. 
And I remember in that in that room, I was like, oh, I have no reason not. Mm-hmm. Now that I've said it, now that I've said it, I'm accountable to it. And now that I've said it, I know it to be true. My body, my body relaxed. Um, and uh, it set me your down the body, path. Your body relaxed. Yeah. I felt yeah. like this, like these two opposing worlds in that moment just kind of go. Whew. Yeah. And I knew there's work to be done. You know, from there on, it was, it was <laughs> a matter of repairing and um, finding and uncovering new pathways. Um, whatever it was that was going to be who I became, whatever that dream was, I knew that now there was work to be done, but I was working in the right direction. Does yeah. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think now, even if I were to go make a record, I could do it in a way that was healthy. Mm. That's it. That's it. Because when you get to that place, you can redeem. If there is uh, authenticity in the dream, it can be redeemed right there mm-hmm. because you're oriented properly. It's not going to swipe you out now. Yeah, It was too dangerous before, but now, now with that humility, uh, maybe you can still have what you want if right. that's, if there's an authenticity in there. And, um, yeah, I think, I think the, it's very serious answering this question because, uh, like, like I said, if you don't, if you don't declare who you are and what you want, it will be declared for you. It's going to cost you. You're going to have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and going back to this idea of impact, uh, I hear that word all the time now. Um, and especially with the younger, like kind of college age crowd, uh, it's almost, I don't know where that came from, but it's almost like everybody, it's like this, uh, duty or obligation. They, they, they feel compelled, like I'm going to make an impact. And it just feels so disjointed and dangerous to me. Like if that's your goal to make an impact, like I'm just thinking of car crashes everywhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like wh- an impact. What do, what do you mean? Who told you that? Why, why? And, and what, like, what do you, what kind of impact? Yeah. Like that's a violent, that's a kiss. You're, you're, if everyone on earth made an impact, it like the world would explode. Oh yeah. I think what that means truly is, is people telling themselves, I want to do something of value. Sure. But usually, yes, absolutely. But they, but do they know they mean that? Right. I don't think they do. I think they wrap it up in this bow of like, I want to help others. It's like, no, you just don't want to feel like you're a cog in just the, the wheel of society. Mm -hmm. And, and if I can, yes. And if I can project some of my story in there, by all means. I wanted to, I think maybe why I'm so passionate about it because I wanted to make an impact, you know, like I'm not like, I'm not going to be in a Christian band, but I'm going to be a Christian and like, we're not going to have like Christian music lyrics, but, but like, but, but like, you know, but we're going to, um, but we're going to be that. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted to make an impact kind of thing. I fell for the same thing, man, as you, uh, just kind of that self sophisticated deception or this, this, the sophisticated self deception. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that going back to this idea of impact and this idea of who you are and this idea of core identity, what I see when I look around the world, I see lots of things, but one of the things, that, one of the patterns that I see is, uh, the more, just like I said earlier that the more like I understand who I am, the less like, uh, important. That is, mm-hmm. uh, like the less of a grip, the less I'm like trying to convince anyone, including myself, uh, it kind of like, it goes into this kind of cool flow state. This is Zen energy almost, uh, when you just, you just sink into the security of belonging, you 
you're the you're a child of God, man. You can mm-hmm. sometimes I'll visualize this like God's in his in his I don't know what you call it like what, what's like the where the king the throne is like the throne room yeah like, and, throne and, room. and and like they'll have like the the council and the the people counseling him uh, right around there. So I just imagine this amazingly glorious throne room and the council of <clears throat> excuse me the council of angels. And and the people that God has has put in in charge of orchestrating the activities of His creation, and uh, and it's a very important thing. They're talking about very important things, and the do- all of a sudden there's like a big bang on the door, and this little child stumbles in, hmm. and kind of sillily like maybe like his shirt's off, and he's just kind of just playing around, and um and mom and and mommy run, runs in after him like oh I'm sorry I'm sorry, uh, and, and, and anyway like and and that child is. Like I'm the child and God's my dad. And, and as important and as serious as that moment is, um, I think about this. It makes me happy. Like I see that child just not caring and just running and just running into the lap of his father. Mm. And so then for the rest of the meeting, God's just kind of playing with this kid while he's dealing with very important things. And so this idea of if you don't, um, the closer you get to who you are, the less you care and this idea of impact. And I think I'm noticing a pattern, uh, and I'd love to hear what y'all think in regards to what I notice is the less someone is integrated on the inside, the more they seem to be almost obsessed the more they seem to really care about the external world Mm -hmm. and something that's happening like 2000 miles away. Mm. And this idea of, um, they're experiencing an injustice in here. And instead of dealing with that, or is it as Jordan Peterson kind of makes the point, like instead of like cleaning up your own house, putting your own house in order, instead of that, uh, the, the, what happens and I think in our brokenness, if we're not willing to own whatever this crazy mystery is, then we'll, we'll see injustice. We will project it. So we'll see injustice everywhere out there. And then we'll become, uh, like very energized and, um, uh, almost obsessed as in focusing on those things while the, while the house rots out from the inside out. Mm. And that's not, and, and if you meet someone who's really integrated, they are caring for the world. Again, they've returned to the inner world and they bring the inner world with them back out. Mm-hmm. And so they are caring for the world, but, but it, it's not to make an impact. You know what I mean? It's not to, uh, it's not an obsession. It's just because that's who they are and what they do. It's and when easier. we're properly oriented, that's what we do. And so everything grows organically. Mm-hmm. You plant a seed and if there's nutrients, uh, and if you take care of it and get anything out of the way that will inhibit it, it's going to grow like this. And then it's going to start to, so, so in, in the, in the kind of analogy, like get your house in order, get, get this deal with this. And then maybe if you do that, like that's the first thing. And if you don't do that, don't worry about the rest. Uh, but if you do that now, you're going to, now you can be better in your family hmm. and better to your, your partner. And, and then you can be a better neighbor and then you can be a better uh, servant in the community. And then, you know, it kind of grows like that. Isn't that how everything grows? And, but we flipped it or a lot of, I'm noticing that pattern. A lot of people have flipped it where this is all rotten and, and we're, and we're pissed off about that. And and as we should be, uh, but instead of dealing with it, it's like the low hanging fruit or the, the, the easy thing is just to project it out. 
and then make it about all of that. Yeah. So I don't have to deal with that. So when I hear people saying, I'm, I'm here to make an impact. The first thing I do is like, mm, hold there. I'm not sure if I'm gonna let you in now. Hmm. Cause I don't want your impact. You know what I mean? Interesting. Not yeah. in my house. There's a, just a real quote that I think goes into that. Cause I, I, I feel like I agree with you. Um, it was a Orthodox father from the 19th century. Um, where he said, if you have peace in your heart, thousands of people will find their healing through you. Yeah. Mm. And I think that you, we've met those people. Like we've met those people and I want to be that person that just interacting with me brings life to your day that I create the space around and within myself to not, not project my own insecurities, but like help you rest in and find peace in my presence, not because it's my presence, but because I'm embodying something I'm embodying. I think the greatest presence, which is the presence of God, hopefully that's the goal is that when I'm being truly myself, when I'm being truly beloved, that what I'm doing is projecting out the right thing yeah. into the world. Mm-hmm. And that when people interact with it, they're changed. Once again, let me clarify, not because they're interacting with me, because they're interacting with the thing that's working through me. Does that make sense? Yeah. And to Brent's point, I, I love that quote. That's so good. Mm-hmm. Who said that? I can't remember his name. He was a Russian Orthodox <sighs> father in the 19th century. So I, love it. I think it's like you said, it's so much easier to project trying to fix the world. There's like a few things that uh, my friend said this when I was talking to him the other day, even uh, we're kind of hitting the same similar vein. It's like, it's easy for someone to be like pro-life and hold a picket out in front of a abortion clinic. That's easy. You might look at that and be like, Ooh, you know, you have to deal with people being pissed off at you and you know, you're really putting yourself out there. It takes courage. It takes courage. Sure. Absolutely. But what that's a lot easier than it is actually mentoring young mothers or maybe fostering a kid like actually helping that community is way harder it's easy to hold a picket sign or even like those uh those pastors on the side of the street you know and uh there's some in charlotte when we lived there i remember walking past them and it's just like it just feels wrong it just feels so anti-christ that like i feel like if you went up to them and you're actually challenging them challenging them on the context of scripture and like trying to prod like what's what's the thread of the entire scripture i don't know if they could tell you i think they could tell you a lot of uh, verses out of context because they're clearly doing a lot of that uh, and trying to guilt people to christ um but i think that that's even though it looks courageous it's a cop-out yeah you you get so much validation because you're like i'm against you know i'm doing what everyone else is afraid to do it's like, no, you're afraid to actually do the real work on the other end and actually create change, mm-hmm. which is in, in yourself first, right? Yeah. You're the, right. Oh, real quick. Jordan Peterson said something one time in one of his speeches where he was kind of just poking fun at those kind of folks. And he's like, he was mocking them. He said, well, I'm against poverty. And I was like, of course you are. We're all against poverty. It's a bad thing, right? But saying you're against it doesn't, it isn't enough, right? I'm not saying you have to go out and try and fix all on your all on your own, but 
it's like, of course you're against poverty. Of course we're against injustice. But what's the best way to combat that? Is it to project outward and never take any responsibility for myself? Change or, the or, system. Or, yeah, change the system, but don't change yourself, yeah. right? Because that takes hard work. Yeah. But when you change yourself, when everyone's working to change themselves and become the best version of themselves, the system begins to change just by nature of the way things grow. As you were saying, it's like things grow outward. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just very interesting. I've heard it said that in our brokenness, um, the human instinct isn't to be free. It's to be taken care of. And so there's a temptation to, it's, it seems easier just to let the system, I guess, in this way, take care of you, uh, than to do it yourself. But everyone knows, I think this is a Matthew McConaughey quote that, um, if you have to sweat for it, it's, it's more enjoyable, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. This idea of, uh, emanating the spirit of Christ and becoming more and more of that, like a living icon in the Orthodox tradition, I think is a really interesting idea. Mm. And yeah, it, the, with people like you're describing, uh, we emit energy and it sounds real woo woo, but, and, but it's not to say that it's not true. We emit energy. You can feel people's presence. You know what I mean? Uh, and so w that's my, uh, that's the, that's something that I'm sensitive to is people's presence. And so what the pattern that I've seen are the people who get, um, who talk about this idea of like social justice which is like a qualifier before, why don't you just talk about justice? Um, uh, or, or this, uh, people who get really, um, worked up about the state of the world and are looking for, to fix the world. Like you said, I love how you said that to fix the world. Like who gave you that idea? You know, um, not to say that this world isn't being renewed by our hands and feet. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's something about the energy of a person that when I'm around people who talk, use that language, I'm usually picking up, uh, anger, uh, and, and it's not anger, man, it's rage and, and deep aloneness. And, um, they're not emanating like healthy, happy, free. They're emanating vengeance. And I think that's an important thing to notice, you know, uh, and the people who are game changers, the people who are, uh, out there feeding the sheep, so to speak. Um, the ones who are truly embodying, you know, this, the Holy spirit, um, they emit a very different energy. Like look at Jesus, you know, he, he knew who he was, uh, and he, what he didn't shy away from it. He, uh, but he also didn't like talk about it a whole, a whole lot, honestly. I mean, he, he, he did talk about it, but he was more interested in who you were. And I think that's it. Can I get to a place where I'm more interested in who you are Wow. than who I am? Like what kind of freedom could that be? Mm. And not because I, because I'm ashamed and I don't like who I am. So I'm just going to like feed off of you, <laughs> but because I love who I am, but it's, 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 um, it's a tr great treasure. And it's also, um, not something I need to cling to anymore. And also you want to see other people find that great treasure. Yeah. Right. Come on, dude. This is this is a good segue, I think, into one last thing I wanted to talk about today. Um, and it's a book called uh, 
Loris that I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago. And this book has stuck with me in a way that a lot of books don't, especially modern books. You know, I read a lot of the old classics and, and uh, those tend to cling to you because those are the ones that have survived the test of time, you know. But Loris feels like a modern classic in a way that it is already saying very, very important and ancient things. And it's almost like the anti-modern novel, in my opinion. Mm. And uh, so the guy who wrote it, Eugene Vodoluskin, he is a Russian. He is a medieval scholar. So he has spent a lot of time trying to uncover the medieval mind and what that was like. Because we can only really know what we know, right? And, and we all have boundaries and, and predispositions towards certain ways of thinking in the modern world. Like, as I said in my article, I'm sure there's more postmodern in me than I even am aware of that I have to kind of rage against and battle against. But Loris felt like kind of a re-enchantment of the world for me. It's very magical and very mysterious. It explores circular time in a way that, um, like it's written in, it's supposed to take place in the 15th century. And he goes back from thou wilt to yo man, what's up? Like, like the language and the vernacular changes. Um, he references things that happened like the 1900s and, but it's stuff, it book takes place in the 15th, 15th century. It's very weird, but main character who has multiple names throughout this throughout the book he changes his name several times as he embodies different things he's one of these people like we were talking about um being a person of peace people are going to find their healing through you he he's a healer in the story he he's an orphaned he's orphaned goes to live with his grandfather his grandfather's like a traditional healer using herbs and medicines and stuff and loris at the time his name's arsony is also he learns to become a healer and there are times when, you know, the book is heavy, very, very heavy. There are moments when he realizes he can't help people, but what he'll do is he just puts his forehead against their forehead and he just cries. Mm-hmm. And he just, it's like he bears part of their, their suffering, mm-hmm. part of their pain when he knows he can't do anything for them because he knows that the world's completely different after that person's gone, you know? And so he mourns with them and through this, through the story, <clears throat> he, um, kind of a spoiler for the beginning of the book, but it's also like on the back, you know, of the, of the book, um, a young girl, he's, he's like a teenager at this time, probably like 14, 15, a young girl comes to his village and he finds her outside of his house and she's covered in sores and, and she's clearly malnutri- mal, uh, malnourished. He takes her in and he helps heal her and they fall in love. And she becomes pregnant. Um, him being an orthodox, he knows that what he's done, getting her pregnant, is wrong. And so he tries to hide her. As people are coming to get healing, she's in another room. And she gets pregnant. The baby's growing. And he's so ashamed of his sin that he doesn't get a midwife. And she dies and the child dies in childbirth. And the rest of the novel is him essentially carrying on a surrogate life for her and for his child. And so he's constantly making space in his world for Ustina and their son. 
um, and, and almost kind of in a sense, like his self, like how could he continue being the same self that was capable of such evil that it caused the death of the person he loved most. And so he's constantly kind of searching out who he is, um, and carrying them with him. Mm. Does that make mm -hmm, sense? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like, it's a, he, he's living a surrogate or representative life for the person he loved most and lost. Um, and in so doing, he disowns himself and he goes on many different event, many different adventures. He goes to Rome. He goes to Jerusalem. Um, he's beaten on the road, you know, he's, uh, he's robbed. Um, and everywhere he goes, even the people that don't know that he's a healer, cause they don't know him. They come to him. Like, it's almost like he has gravity. Mm-hmm. Because he is at this point so in touch, he, he disowns himself completely for the sake of someone else, Ustina and their son, and to be in communion with God. And it's like he has gravity and everyone just comes to him and he's, he's healing wherever he goes. He's healing people with his, his medicines everywhere he goes. Even when people don't know who he is. Mm -hmm. But there's something about him that pulls people into that space where they find their healing. And I think there's something to that. Um in the scriptures where it talks about uh, losing yourself. And when you, when you are living for, I mean, Victor Frankl talks about this, you know, um, a lot of times the best self care is care for others. Hmm. And when you create the space in your world for people who are also searching for their identity, and your identity is wrapped up in the fact that you're beloved and that you're working towards something good and valuable like Loris is or Arsene becomes Ustin who becomes Ambrosi who becomes Loris throughout all the different phases of his life. Then people are flocking to you and they, they begin to uncover their belovedness, their identity just by being in contact with you. Um, and some of the greatest, some of the greatest novels, the greatest heroes are not about like reaching out and seizing power for themselves or, uh, seizing it through strength, but it's like more of an opening up. It's more of like a letting go of what their flesh wants. It's the self-sacrifice. It's the meekness, you know, because once again, it takes no virtue to lash out and seize for yourself. It takes virtue to restrain at the cost of oneself for the sake of others. And we see that in Christ, you know, we see that in all the great stories, but I think ultimately in Christ, um, everything else, all, all the other great stories are all pointed towards something bigger and truer. C.S. Lewis wrote a essay called when myth becomes fact. Mm -hmm. And it talks about that, how all of our stories are echoes of what's most true, you know? Um, he's so good. He's so good. God, every, every time I read him, something in me just feels yeah I'm in the right place. So I think that that's all I wanted, really want to say about Loris was, interestingly enough, he became most himself when he first off knew who he was mm. and second of all created the space for others by disowning himself in a sense. Wow. And how can you truly climb up on the cross to deny yourself? How can you truly do it to its fullest culmination without knowing who you are mm. and who's actually getting up there yeah. and who's dying? Mm. That's amazing. So yeah. everyone read Loris. 
there's a gravity to authenticity. Mm -hmm. Like the most, I'm not a person who like is in my faith, you know, someone who, who, who has like the personality type to be just like witnessing to everybody around me or talking about Jesus around those who are always around me, like random strangers. Some people can, it's not my personality type, but maybe it's just, I don't have a boldness. Um, I don't know, but I have noticed that when I'm most, my most authentic self and I'm embodying Christ's word that it just flows, you know, and that people are drawn into that and it just comes out, you know, in like those opportunities to be authentic about yourself and authentic about your beliefs, uh, manifest much mm. easier. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that and telling probably that this isn't an explicitly Christian podcast, but it's impossible for me to explore identity without going back to Jesus. And so I know that there's probably people listening here that uh, don't have the same belief as us about this and that's okay. Um, you can still, I think, see the value in embodying something greater than yourself. Um, but I think that if we're, if we're going to dig down to the core of identity, we have to accept that something greater than us, if we're going to live congruous, congruous lives of purpose and meaning in which other people are flocking to us, we have to be willing to reckon with the fact that there's stuff we don't know. And there's also something that's bigger than us that's calling out to us calling us out of the garden. Well, that maybe that's a weird way to say that, but calling us back to the garden. Yeah. Calling us back to the garden. Man, and I, w- I would love to just bounce off of that, that we're not trying to make an impact. You know what I mean? Uh, at least th- at least I'll speak for just how I look at this. Not trying to make an impact. I don't want to try to have people think like I think. You know what I mean? That's not what it's about. Um, and, and this idea of, uh, you know, not, it's not a Christian podcast, but, um, which I don't even know what that means anyway. Like right. how can a podcast be Christian? <laughs> like Christian music is always the same thing. Like how can music be Christian? I don't get that. It's not like a living thing. Uh, but, um, you know, going back to kind of earlier in my story of like, all right, I'm going to be a Christian, but we're not gonna be a Christian band and like that kind of thing. And there was like a shame at some level or like an embarrassment of talking about it, about being a Christian. So, you know, keep that private, you know, we don't talk about religion and politics around here. Uh, and, and I get, I, I, I kind of like, I've experienced that and I get that. And at this point in my life, it's like, uh, it's, this is going to be a hard thing to say and describe. And, and I'm still working around, like working this out. So ask me, in a, you know, ask me in a few years how I think about this. But as I see it now, it's like, I know like evangelists, like being um, evangelical and, and is a thing. It's a command. And so we can't avoid that. And at the same time, going back to this idea of organic growth and being image bearers and things like this and not trying to make an impact in the way that I was describing that, um, that being authentic mm. it's kind of like you just kind of have to let it fly man just we're we're exploring 
we're exploring the realm of truth, I guess, but we're not proclaiming that we know, know it like you, to your point. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, um, I think we just need to speak freely and be who we are. And there's going to be some people that resonate and some people that don't. And, but I have no agenda, right? We, we have no agenda with this outside of, um, you know, kind of like, I guess like a mission statement, I guess that's kind of an agenda, but it's, it's like, uh, we just want to be awake and we, and we want to share that Mm -hmm. and explore concepts and topics and open talk openly. Yeah. Yeah. I want this to be come with us if you want, but we're not going to chase you down. Right. We won't. I think you talked about authenticity. If we're going to have authentic discussions, we have to say what we believe to be true. And for me, and I thought very hard about identity these last few, since the last podcast, knowing this was coming. And at this point for me, I can't get past the only way that I'm living my true life when with my true identity is when I believe that I am beloved mm-hmm. and I can't get past that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone asked me, uh, when they listen to the podcast, they asked me who they're a believer in, in, in ministry. They asked, uh, can you be a dreamer? Do you believe that you can be a dreamer without Christ? You know, you can fulfill, you find a fulfilled dream. My personal answer is, I don't believe that. I don't believe you can find that fulfilled dream without Christ. Again, full disclosure, but I think that there, if you're, if you don't believe, um, I think there's a lot of beautiful concepts, not only in the things that we're talking about, but in scripture alone and who Christ was. Um, even if you don't believe in the biblical stories, um, or religion, um, I hear that a lot. A lot of people are like, I, I believe in Christ, you know, that he was a person and that he outlined a lot of really interesting ideas. Um, but I'm not a religious person. That's fine. But I'd say if you're looking at, you know, meaning and, and, uh, virtue, uh, Jesus's life and the representation that he offered for us to follow. Um, there's a lot of really powerful virtues there that even if you're not religious, quote unquote, that I think that you could really get behind of, you know, take care of the widows and orphans. Most people wouldn't disagree with that. You know, looking after treating others, uh, uh, over yourself. Like that's the golden rule. What does that mean? That means that's, that's ultimately the highest virtue in Christianity is to treat others better than yourself. Right. And there's a lot of virtues that you can find, even if you don't agree with the religion that I would just ask if you're curious or you're looking for virtues to just explore Uh, They're very beautiful stories. The uh, Bible's full of them. Um, that I think you can f- at least ponder upon and think through, even if you don't feel like you fully align with it. Beautiful stories and mysterious stories. Yes. Yeah. Very mysterious stories. And when it comes to when people say that, because that seems to be a theme, right? Like in our experience, in our culture of, you can talk about any spirituality and even religion at this point, but just don't bring up the Jesus one. We've heard it. Right. You know what I mean? And so there's like the shame or embarrassment. And I think this has also been programmed into us or, or at least, uh, 
reinforced in the like youth group culture in the evangelical church. Um, and again, I'm not here to criticize. Uh, I'm just speaking about my experience at least, uh, this idea of like going on a mission trip and like, um, we're going to go to like this faraway place and we're going to hand out literally uh, these like pieces of paper that tell again, marketing, right? As you, yeah. Here's a problem you have. And like, this is the gospel. I'm not trying to be light on that. <clears throat> right. But you're, you're saying what we just talked about of going out and try to fix. It's not something. organic. Yeah. And, and so if people do that, but then they don't even know the name of their next door neighbor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, yeah. so, you know, yeah, I, I think we're not proclaiming to know the truth, but we are claiming proclaiming to be exploring the truth. And, and as we're exploring, like you said, last podcast, I think, Spencer, that some things feel truer than, than others. And it seems to have all, we didn't plan this, but it seems to have, have all led us to where we are now. And, um, you know, we're different people, different personalities, different experiences, but we do share uh, some very... Um, core understandings or claims, I guess, as to what's true. Mm-hmm. And we're just exploring that and we'll see where we go with it. And so this is like the call to adventure, like come with us. And mm-hmm. and we would love to have people that want to come with us. Um, and you mean not so much as a theological truth, but no, claiming to know the truth as in like from all these concepts that we're exploring. I don't know th- if there's a difference. Mm. And we're not, so but going back to you, Jake, when I hear people, cause I've heard that so many times, um, that I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I'm always curious. There's, I always have follow up questions. So what do you mean? What's the thing? What, what do you, what's the distinction? And there's always a story behind it. And, and also for most people that, that say that kind of stuff, to be honest in my, just in my experience, um, once you start, start to inquire a little bit, they don't really understand what they're saying. They just, it, it's, uh, they haven't really thought about it. They just know that religion is this kind of superstitious, bad thing in some ways, or at least that's the, that's the, um, supposition of the modern world maybe. Mm. Um, but it's so funny because in the, if you, as a student of history, if you look at history of like the human race, which who knows how long that's been going on again, what a mystery anywhere from a few thousand years to hundreds of thousands or millions, who knows? Billions. I know. I think I think in like carbon dating in, in uh, ar- archaeology, they're they're finding things that are like tens of thousands of years old, hundreds of thousands of years old, um, like uh, pottery and stuff like that. Even so, I, I maybe not hundreds Neanderthal of thousands. flutes. Yeah, that kind of stuff. They so, literally found a flute that was yeah. Anyways, yeah, it's cool. Well, it's definitely a mystery. Uh, but what I will say is whether it was. Um, depending on whatever mythology they lived in and what what kind of. Um, supernatural forces or gods a culture throughout time has believed in uh, this idea that there is no God is, is such a small fragment of humanity. What humanity has always understood that it's, it's almost laughable from the context of humanity at large, this idea of, um, you know, that this idea of that materialism is the natural world to your point back to the beginning is all, is all there is. It's laughable from the historical perspective uh, that that's the case. It's kind of like a bunch of people walking around with bags over their heads, like bumping into stuff. It's like, <laughs> you you know, you can take the bag off and, you know. Yeah. Anyway. E- even when they say they would sp- they're spiritual but not religious, what does that, as you said, what does what that do you, mean? What do you mean? <clears throat> and it's one of those things that, that I've even known people that were atheists that would say they're spiritual. 
And I think that's just evidence to me that there's something that calls us from the deep. That's calling out to our heart. Um, and it's mystery. It's the mystery of who we are. It's the mystery of the world. It's the mystery of who we are as individuals and also as who we are as a species. Um, and there's something in the human spirit that I believe is calling us back to the garden, calling us back to our true identity and the whole world is searching for the knowledge that they are beloved. So in trying to answer the question of who you are, I think we've hit a few key themes here today. Give yourself space to listen, right? If you don't know where to begin, let's maximize that internal voice to, so that you can understand yourself. Your body matters and listen to your body. You both had strong themes there of your body began to feel it where you were off. And I've been there too. Your energy, energy, enthusiasm, whatever it may be, um, is a good indication of if you're on the right track or not. Mm -hmm. And I think there's like one other point there that I'm just not thinking of. What would you say is the last thing that we, we mentioned space and uh, find that identity. Yeah, I think what I would just add to that is this idea of going back to the the, the beginning here, um, uh, that we need to be careful about who we let in and what we let in in regards to, and, and how much we're speaking. Um, we need to speak. Speaking is how we understand things. Even if we're wrong, and, and guess what? We're always going to be wrong. You have to be willing to be the fool to be the master. Mm. Uh, you have to be willing to get it wrong to get it right. You know, that's how Edison made the light bulb and all that. And so, um, yeah, I, be careful of the company you keep and who you let in, whether it's a billboard or an Instagram scroll or a conversation with friends or whatever it might be. Um, if you don't, if you don't reckon and deal with this thing, um, it's going to be chaos for you because you're going to, you're going to end up paying a lot. You're going to end up buying someone else's answer and that's not going to serve you. So I think that would be the one thing I would say. In if, if you don't grow or cultivate your identity, you'll end up buying someone else's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's going to cost you. Yeah. Yeah. Pay attention. Right. I mean, why do people say that? Mm. It's the costs. Yeah. Yeah. So as y'all are going about your business, I just looked at the camera. Are we supposed to do that? Sure. It just felt right as we're all going about our business this week, you know, uh, maybe one thing that would be cool that to add to pepper in here sometimes would be like a weekly challenge, you know, I like that. Like what would be a good stretch challenge for you this week in regards to identity? You know, um, I don't know, maybe you like write something down, maybe tell somebody who you mm. are, maybe try to put that together. Yeah. Like, and you know, you have like, you have two minutes to tell me who you are. Go. <laughs> yeah, maybe something like that. I don't know. Well, you, you brought up, I think the best, the best example of it to put the person in the right perspective is you said, like, imagine you're walking like New York city, you know, times square or whatever, and you're you know, across the street and then someone comes up to you and says, who are you? Yeah. Like, how would you answer that in the moment? I'm Brent. And That's literally the most profound answer I've come to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the beloved is obviously the, the cake eater one. Yeah. I, literally the answer is Brent. Mm -hmm. I have a name. And I didn't come up with it. It was given to me, mm. you know, so about who do we let in, you know, 
So, yeah. Someone who loved you gave you that name. Once yeah. again, we are, maybe our identity is what we love and whose love and who loved us. Yeah. What we love and who loved us. Is it Psalm 143 that says that we were made with fear and wonder? 139 or 143? I can't remember. Right can't now. remember either. But um, we were made that it says in there that God made us with fear and wonder. And that's always been a mysterious thing to, to try to understand. What does that mean? Like, can God be afraid, first of all? And like, what does that even mean to be afraid and uh, or fear? Um, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Yeah. And I just think it's so beautiful and so profound and so comforting that I was made with fear and wonder that God himself, when he knit me together in my mother's womb, there's so much intentionality and romance to that already. Again, that's how the story starts. Belonging. Uh, but we were made with fear and wonder, so who knows what that means. The, the stab that I'll take at it is um, God gave us free will, and that's scary for someone who loves their their child because they can blow the thing up you know maybe that's what it means but i don't know can god be afraid i don't know someone said that the the job of the mother like the perfect mother is one who can let go mm. you know it's like their job is to cultivate and grow and love and nourish and all these sorts of things and nurture but there's a time when the mom has to have the courage to say to their child, go out into the world and, and be you. Yeah. Maybe that's similar to how God feels. He's like, he's, he's doing all these things and he, he loves and he, he nurtures and he builds and he creates. Then he says, go forth. You know, what image comes to mind and I know the sun's coming up here, so I know we're probably <clears throat> overdue on, on time, but uh, you know what the image just came to mind, Spencer, when you were saying that was like 1941. America, uh, World War II uh, is happening. Mm. And there are a lot of mothers, the fathers already went off to war. And there's a lot of mo there are a lot of mothers who are um, raising these boys in this case. Uh, and they're pouring their heart and soul into um, cultivating and fostering this organic growth, like making these mighty monsters of men. Uh, and and a lot of these boys, by the time they were like 17, 18, right around this time, uh, they went to war and mom had to like the mother, how excruciating must that have been? We'll never understand that. I don't think as men, uh, because we, cause we would have been the ones eager to go. Um, and so these, these women who have invested their whole entire hearts and beings into these boys and here comes a crisis and, and the, the truest and the most profound mothers allowed, they didn't want it, but the, they allowed their boys to go off to war. And it's the antithesis to like the devouring mother that's wanting to keep, keep the children close and they end up eating them, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, is that God? Like did, has God made us and poured into us, his heart and being to send us off to war, you know, in a reality where we can't actually ever die. Wow. Who are you? What do you want? Where are you going? This has been the 0400 podcast. Keep dreaming. Keep dreaming. Keep dreaming.